a Podcast One production. This is Global Truths with Dr Keith Souter. Every week we delve into an international mystery. Well, not quite accurate, but an international situation, if you will, that we then break down and Dr. Keith makes very easy for people to understand. And a lot of these issues that we delve into can be quite complex by nature. And that's the beauty of you, Keith. You've been doing it for Thank so you. many decades. <laughs> you just know how to tell it in layman's terms. So three PhDs on international relations and numerous amounts of storytelling over the years, commentator in the media and otherwise, universities, special clubs that no one else can get admission to overseas. We're going to talk today about... The fatal calculations or miscalculations, you'd really say, Keith, when it comes to global warming and the threat. Absolutely. So this is a report called Fatal Calculations, How Economics Has Underestimated Climate Damage and Encouraged Inaction. So this is um, a report which has been produced by the National Centre for Climate Restoration, which is in Melbourne. One of the writers is Ian Dunlop, a colleague that I've known now for 30-odd years, uh, used to work in the energy industry and is now expressing concerns about the energy industry. And he's one of my colleagues in the Club of Rome. Uh, The two principal writers are David Spratt, who's the research director at the National Centre for Climate Restoration, and Alia Armistead, who's the research coordinator. So this is um, a report available for free online. And the argument is that we hear a lot about economic modelling, including relating to climate change. But the argument from these people is that, in fact, the situation is far worse than is being suggested by the climate modelling. So they actually look at what is the problem with what is called climate modelling or economic modelling. So Economic modelling is a a science or pseudoscience which evolved, particularly after World War II, when we had the application of scientific research to military planning, etc. And so the idea was that you would get calculations made about not just one fairly small thing, but you try to bring together a number of different factors and you would do the modelling. So We get that every day, really, if you look at the Australian media. We talk about the economic modelling of, say, the coronavirus. What is the impact on, say, the Australian tourist industry? Or what will it mean for the export of food, etc.? So modelling is is going on all the time by economists. This publication sounds a note of warning. So I encourage people to read it, if only just to be a little more wary when they hear the models being developed and assuming that this is a rock-solid science. What they're saying is that a lot of the modelling is actually based on political considerations and on the temperament of the modellers themselves. So it, it actually makes you quite uneasy when you read this document because it may well be that we are underestimating the extent of potential damage from climate change. So when people think about climate change, they just think the world's going to get warmer and they will say, oh, that's great because it means that we can get at the resources that are at the, um, say, northern part of Russia because we assume there's a lot under the permafrost in northern Russia. That, of course, will liberate the methane that's trapped in that land there. But there are resources there. Uh, It is now possible to sail from Europe across the top of Canada. This is what's called the Northwest Passage that people over the last two, three hundred years have died uh, 
looking for this Northwest Passage, the quick route to China. So you just, instead of going all the way around the world, you just go over the North Pole. Now, that is now beginning to be a possibility. So that North Polar region could become a new Mediterranean. The ice will disappear and you'll be able to move very easily between Northern Europe, China, etc. That's all the good news for some people. But the problem is that there's a lot of bad news, which is simply not getting into the newspapers very much. And they're blaming the modellers um, who, in a sense, are warning, but with a note of reassurance. And what they're saying is, look, be careful, guys. We're in a situation which is much worse than the modellers are willing to admit. They're working for governments or they might have their own agendas or it might just be the limited nature of the tools which they use for the modelling. And so there's there's a whole crisis emer- emerging which we simply don't know about. Again, if you look at the coronavirus issue, which was just beginning to emerge uh, when this report was being completed, when you look at what we have, how much we have changed in the last few months as we have toppled into a government-directed economic recession, if not depression. Remember, uh, economies generally have a life of their own and they continue to tick over. So my favourite statistic relates to the 20th century. By looking at the economic statistics, you cannot find the two world wars in the economic statistics. In other words, the factories were still active. They were producing aircraft not automobiles. And indeed, unemployment went down and we had a labour force which was much larger because a lot of um, uh, women who previously would have been homemakers were now obliged to join the workforce in the factories because the men in the factories had gone off to war. So, in fact, you actually had an increase in labour participation in those two world wars. So, ironically, the wars didn't really have a major impact on the economic traction. Of course, it bankrupted Britain and a lot of other countries. But overall, the economy continues to take over. What we've got now for the first time in our history is uh, an economy which is going into decline deliberately brought on by the government as a way of trying to cope with the coronavirus. A byproduct of that has been the onset of the recession. So these people doing the modelling are in effect saying, well, look, think about the unthinkable. What are some of the big issues which could emerge which you simply don't factor into the official statistics, like the mass movement of peoples? So we see a bit of that at the moment with people fleeing Syria, trying to get to Germany, etc. But there could well be much bigger issues, mass movements of people, as the waters start to flow over the coastal regions around the world then you're going to have to move those bases and they will go under. And if they're on islands, the islands go under. And so people will need to get on boats or planes and, and fly to countries that are above the waterline. This is Global Truth with Dr Keith Suda. We're talking today about the miscalculations by the world when it's come yeah. to the effects of global warming uh, or climate change, whatever you want to phrase it as. But Heath, this is, it is quite alarming what you're saying. It's not expected by many people. No, it isn't. And and the way in which, the, well, for a start, a lot of people are just bored about climate change. 
Well, that's need. the thing. And that's a lot of media outlets want to cover it. There's a new angle. And yep, there's, that's right. well, when is there a new angle? Yeah. Well, if, if this report is they believe, there will be an increasing number of new angles because you're going to get um, an increase in sea level, as one example. And as you get an increase in sea level, so you've got salty water that'll travel further inland, up rivers, which will then damage the food being grown on, on either side of those rivers. So you will end up then with problems of mass starvation. We have problems now with the male distribution of food. At the moment, we pretty well grow enough food for the world's population, but it's badly distributed. A third of the food grown, by the way, is thrown away. It's an appalling statistic. Yeah. We just, under the European Union regulations, for example, a carrot has to look like a carrot. I'm so pleased to see that in Australia we we sell what you know what's called the odd lots. So tomatoes, which perhaps don't look quite like a normal tomato or a, or a carrot. So luckily we're trying to reduce the amount of food wastage, but a third of the food that is grown is simply discarded. So what we're looking at then, as the population increases in number, with the land quality going down, then we will end up with problems of mass starvation and more hunger, more people on the move. And as people move from one land to another, they will then end up, of course, creating local sources of um, violence around the area. They, this, they have a whole section dealing with the technical aspects of economic modelings on climate change. So they say uh, that, that you've, you've got a number of particular problems in the actual style of how economic modellers operate. So you've got one is the neoclassical training, which most economists, I, I call myself a, a recovering economist, a bit like you have a recovering alcoholic. I'm a recovering economist because so much of what I had to teach first-year economics, I think now is just a waste of time. But the, the many economists believe there is such a thing as equilibrium mm. and that somehow or other one thing will balance out the other. And so that is the, the, the mindset of people doing the models. But in fact, it may well be that we're subject to continuous creative destruction. In other words, there is there is no equilibrium and that we we bounce from one challenge to another. We also look at, uh, for example, at how you can calculate long-term damage. That's another problem which they have to look at. They also, modelers might also underestimate the extent of the damages because mm. they will just simply say, we cannot calculate that, therefore we don't fit it into our models, in which case then the models are actually unhelpful because they're not covering the complete story. And so that is part of the problem. Economists are uncertain about the growth rate next year, let alone in 10 years. Of course, ironically, that's even more challenged by the sudden onset of coronavirus. So they don't know what the growth rate's going to be. They don't know what the energy mix will be or whether the financial system may crash. So how can complex equations taking in scores of hundreds of variables and parameters be expected to give an accurate view of the economy in 80 years' time? Mm. So this is the warning that they're sounding. So the next time you hear about people modelling climate change, or I might just say other issues relating to economic modelling, be wary. There are, I think, deficiencies in that modelling exercise. Now, leading on from that is the political question. These are economists. The political question is, well, if the situation could be worse 
than the official government calculations, what do we then do about it? The extent of the problem over climate change is going to be a, a, an even bigger one that we've got, we're talking to people about. How do we educate the people for them to understand and to bring on the major changes? I just don't know how that's going to be done. That is the major political change. And you've got people who are bored, disengaged from politics at the best of times, and now you're coming along with these threats from the climate. But I do agree with that, Keith. But then what about the things like the, the bushfires that just happened? If anything brought it back to the forefront, it was the bushfires. It was just they were so incredibly ferocious. There were lives lost. It was yeah. it captivated the country for months. These And these early starts and that it started back in October yeah. up northern New South Wales, you know, it, it's something like those sorts of natural disasters, surely that helps convince people of the, the need to act more swiftly and decisively. Well, you're such an optimist. <laughs> I love you just look at me, you're just pretty much shaking your head going, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, no. Nah. <laughs> <laughs> because when you look at what has actually happened, that did not flow on. You didn't get suddenly people saying we've got to do something about climate change. Instead, you actually had sections of the media saying these fires were lit by environmentalists mm. in order to whip up fears about the weather, etc. So it, it is very difficult to have a rational debate on all of this. So if you were a pessimist, this would give you grounds for saying, yes, I've now got justification of being pessimistic because um, we're not even getting governments to recognise how serious the situation is. And they get these comforting reports, these economic models, um, which over-exaggerate perhaps the impact of, of new technologies, et cetera. And they, pro- they provide comfort well, what we really need are far more drastic warnings and to see ourselves going onto a war footing. Remember, that's what we're now doing with the coronavirus. Mm. And you've got the politicians talking about wartime conditions. Well, this is just the beginning of the process. Who knows what other major disasters, including climate change, is coming? Uh, will be coming down the road to greet us. And especially being here where in the neck of the woods where we can see it firsthand in terms of the Pacific, for example, and some of the countries that are most at threat. Absolutely. They are the, we, we know the first... Ireland to disappear will be the Carteret Islands in Papua New Guinea. Uh, we know the first place in the United States, a village in uh, Alaska, will be the first bit of the United States to go underwater. So we're actually in a position where we can start to calculate uh, the disappearance of real estate. And, of course, the American military are very good on calculating this because they've got ships. So a number of their ships, you take the biggest American, in fact, I think it's the world's biggest military base, is in Virginia, and when they get forecasts of storms, they have to get all their ships out of the harbours and get them onto the high seas. They're actually safer on the high seas than being bounced around inside the harbours um, in Virginia. So the military have been very good on this. The, the American military who have been sending submarines under the North Polar ice cap have got decades of measuring the way in which the ice is getting thinner and thinner because they have to calculate if a submarine gets into trouble, it needs to be able to punch its way up through the ice to get to the surface. And the Pentagon have realised that the, the ice is getting thinner. And that's why I say we're talking about the disappearance of the ice in, around the North Polar region and they're opening it up as a new place for, for ships to sail easily, which, by the way, will result in a land grab 
as countries around the North Pole will then suddenly seek to get control of the seabed. Well, of course they will, especially because Russia's always had a presence up there as well, and just in case this sort of happens. And exactly, the, and the Russians have already gotten the business is of Is it the gas or oil? Claims. Gas and oil, we think, yeah. So watch this space again, Keith. Absolutely. This has been Global Truths with Dr Keith Souter. It's recorded in the studios of Podcast One. Producer is me, Kate Mack. Production assistance by Matt Dwyer. Audio production by Darcy Thompson. And for more episodes, head to podcastoneaustralia.com.au or download the Podcast One Australia app.